but I, from time to time, I encourage you to read your Bibles. Um, and it's amazing how many Christians you run into that don't take time to read their Bibles. And, and I've encouraged you to do that. And I said, if you don't understand it, just keep reading it. The more you read it, the more you're going to understand the the more your comprehension will increase as you just read through it. I just did that when I was younger. I was just determined to um, understand the Bible. So I, I spent, I don't even want to, maybe I shouldn't even tell you, I spent hours reading the Bible without remembering a bit of it. Uh, the Bible's kind of that way. It can be, it can be so revelatory. It can be so uh, cool. It can be so neat when the Holy Spirit speaks to you. There are times when we come to it with, a, with an approach where it's like, well, I'm just doing this out of duty, and it can be kind of mind-numbing. And you need to realize when that's happening that you need to just stop and say, wait a minute, Holy Spirit, even if I just read one verse, bring one verse alive to me. And so we need to approach it that way. It needs to be something that we understand is life-giving to us, and we need the nourishment that comes from it. But we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to look at the first nine verses. And what I want to talk about is our identity in Jesus and understanding our identity in him our identity in him because when we understand who he's created us to be and everything that he means to us our lives will be much richer there is a flow of life that God wants to bring us through understanding Jesus and learn, focusing our attention on him we don't I'll tell you this we don't focus enough attention on Jesus I don't focus enough attention on Jesus. I don't spend enough time with him. And I'm not saying that I don't spend any time with him, but I, I need to spend more time with him. I need, throughout my day, when I get distracted by other things, I need to get back to that place where I'm focusing on him and where I'm embracing him. And, when I ha- and I need to take those times, more time, where I just spend time in his presence, just enjoying him, just appreciating him for who he is. So I want to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to make two points today uh, as, we, as we begin. We may go for a couple of weeks, several weeks on this topic of our identity Jesus. We spend a lot of time in it, but um, we'll just address a few things. But I want you to notice, pay attention to this and see if you catch what's going on here. Just one little thing, uh, and I'll point it out as soon as we're done reading. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. From Paul, divinely appointed according to the plan of God to be an apostle of the anointed one, Jesus. This is the Passion Translation, in case you're wondering. Our fellow believer, Sosthenes, joins me in writing you this letter addressed to the community of God throughout the city of Corinth. For you have been made pure, set apart in the anointed one, Jesus, and God has invited you to be his devoted and holy people. And not only you, but everyone everywhere who calls on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and ours also. May joyous grace and endless peace be yours continually from our Father God and from our Lord Jesus, the Anointed One. I am always thanking my God for you because he has given you such free and open access to his grace through your union with Jesus, the Messiah. In him you have been made extravagantly rich in every way. You have been endowed with a wealth of inspired utterance and the riches that come from your intimate knowledge of him. For the reality of the truth of Christ is seen among you and strengthened through your experience of him. So now you aren't lacking any spiritual gift as you eagerly await the unveiling of the Lord Jesus, the anointed one. 
He will keep you steady and strong to the very end, making your character mature so that you will be found innocent on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is forever faithful and can be trusted to do this in you, for he has invited you to co-share the life of his son, Jesus, the anointed one, our king. Did you notice anything? What did you notice? It mentions Jesus nine times in nine verses. It mentions him nine times. And I'm thinking about this. Paul, what, Paul what do you, what, what's on Paul's mind? What is he thinking as he writes? He writes this opening of a letter to the people in Corinth, this church in Corinth, and nine times he mentions the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you think he has a focus on Jesus? Do you think Jesus is on his mind? Do you think he thinks the world of Jesus? He can't say enough about Jesus. He can't mention him enough. He talks about Jesus over and over again in the first nine verses. It mentions the Lord Jesus, the anointed one, Jesus, the Christ, nine times. And so we want to look at is how in, in these passages and in this whole idea of identity, we need to come to love Jesus more. We need to grow to love him more. Obviously, Paul had something going on in him where he was so impassioned, so filled with passion for Jesus that he had to express it over and over again. And I think that we, we need to come to that place. I, think, I believe that there is a richness of life that God wants to bring into us and through us in walking with Jesus, but it comes through spending time with him. And it comes to focusing on him. And it comes to understanding our identity in him. <clears throat> you know, how do, we, how do we deal with issues and problems in our lives? Um, we're, not a, we're not a people who learn things quickly or easily. We're not a people that make change easily. We, we tend to have to really work at changing certain things in our lives and yet there's a, there's a resource that God wants to bring to us in our relationship with Jesus that um, the life flow that he wants to bring to us so that transformation truly can come to us. And so the change, the things that we need to change, become much easier or more quickly happen. And it has to do with spending time in his presence and focusing on him. The foundation that we need to, to build on is, is Jesus. So let's look at um, verse 1. Go to the, the slide that has verse 1. There we go. In verse 1, he was appointed to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. That Paul was, was um, given a responsibility and he was given a place of ministry and service as an apostle. In verse 2, it says, we were made pure, set apart in Christ Jesus and the end of verse 2 says, we call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. We're going to focus today on the fact that Paul was appointed as an apostle. We'll talk about that a little bit. And then we're going to talk about being that we were made pure and set apart. We were sanctified. Uh, we'll talk about that in a minute. Verse 3, we receive joyous grace and endless peace from our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the fourth mention. Verse 4, the grace of God was given by Jesus Christ. Grace was released through Jesus, go to the next slide. Verse 6 speaks of the testimony of Christ, the witness of his life in them. 
the people of Corinth and Christians, believers as, uh, in general. Verse 7, he speaks of the unveiling or the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 8 refer, refers to our innocence or our blamelessness in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is an amazing thing. And verse 9 mentions we co-share the life or fellowship of his son or Lord Jesus Christ. And so, I, you know, some of those are really powerful. I want to spend some time on those. I, sometimes I almost feel like going there, like verse 9, like what does that mean to co-share the life of Jesus? Like what does that mean? We'll get there later. But those are the nine places where it shows up. You notice verse 5 doesn't mention the Lord Jesus, but there's a double mention in a previous verse. And so Jesus is the perfect pattern for us to follow and, and when we focus on him, he actually brings his, his government or his rulership into our lives so that, that we begin to do things um, spiritually and we begin to incorporate things into our lives just because of our relationship with him. Um, in Luke chapter 15, it says that the common people came to Jesus. They gladly came to Jesus. Jesus didn't come. As a showboat, as a guy who was you know, trying to make a splash for himself, he wasn't somebody who um, tried to make a name for himself. He wasn't doing things to draw attention. Matter of fact, he tried to get away from crowds. Uh, he, he wasn't afraid of them. He, he ministered to crowds, but he would often try to get away on, on his own uh, to spend time with his father. But he wasn't a showboat, but yet people flocked to him. Why did people flock to him? There was something about his character. There was something about his personhood that he was, you know what he was? He was the complete man. He was just all there. I mean, everything about him in his spirit and soul and even in his body, he was just all there. He was the complete man. And people, people recognized the dynamic of him. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute because as we walk through this, Jesus lives in us. And what does he want to bring to us? He wants to bring to us a fullness of life that represents or represents Jesus. And so he wants us to be people who, when others come into contact with us, they say, there's just something about them that... I want, I need. And, and it's not something that you have to try to, to force on people. It comes, it, flew, it flowed naturally out of Jesus. And so Jesus was accused of hanging out with, with publicans and sinners. He was, you know, who is this guy? And yet, you know, sin never touched him. He never fell into it, even though they tried to accuse him of, of things. And, but every place that he went and every situation that he encountered... He lifted up the situation because of the character that he walked in, because of the life that he walked in. And so he had an impact and had influence everywhere that he went. You know, um, you, ever, you ever remember getting, as a kid, a helium balloon? One of the old latex helium balloons that had a figure on it tied to a string. You know, you go somewhere and they're handing them out or whatever, and uh, you take it home, or at least you try to. You know, if you're lucky enough to get it in the car to drive home, and then when you get home, you open the door. If you're lucky enough to get it out of the car and in the house without it sailing away, 
you take that thing in the house and you may play with it a little bit. And after a while, it might get somewhere that you forget about it. And about a week or two or three or a month, you find it. What does it look like? Is this little thing at the end of a string or a ribbon and it's like, and it used to have a picture on it, but it's all shriveled up. You know, our lives can kind of get that way. You ever feel like that? You ever feel like a shriveled up balloon that's out of helium? And what is it that we need? We need an infusion of the breath of God that would blow that thing back up to recreate the image that was originally intended in that balloon. What we need is the life flow of Jesus in us that will will allow us to receive the breath of God that will bring us to the place where we we demonstrate, we display, we put on, we, we, we show who we were created to be. And it's a person created in God's image. Our identity is in him. He wants his character, his life flow to be in us so that when people get around us, they're touched by him. And it's not by what I do, and it's not by what I think I am, but it's by the breath of God. It's the life of God through Jesus in me. And the more I spend time with him, the more that reality is going to happen. The more that reality is going to take place. And so uh, I know life comes at us and it's always uh, diminishing, diminishing, diminishing us, trying to rob us of, uh, of our relationship with God. Not, not that anything could um, cut off our relationship with God, but just causing us to maybe not spend as much time or not be as aware of God's presence. And so we, we kind of wilt spiritually and, and we don't have quite the impact um, in the way that God wants us to. And so he wants us to come back and focus our, our attention on Jesus. And so we're on this journey of walking with Jesus so that we fully identify with him and so that the fullness of who he is is resident and it's radiant in us it's coming out of us and it's touching and affecting people. So back to verse 1 from Paul, or 1 Corinthians chapter 1, from Paul, divinely appointed according to the plan of God to be an apostle of the anointed one, Jesus, our fellow believer. Sosthenes joins me in writing you this letter, addressed to the community of God throughout the city of Corinth, for you have been made pure, set apart in the anointed one, Jesus. And God has invited you to be his devoted and holy people, and not only you, but everyone everywhere who calls on the name of the Lord. The Lord Jesus Christ is their Lord and is ours. Now we have to understand that the city of Corinth is, uh, Paul is writing to the people in Corinth, and Corinth is probably one of the most corrupt cities around. It was a trade city. It was a city that was involved in commerce. Uh, It was in ancient Greece, and it was a major city. It was kind of a cultural center, not quite as important as Athens, but it was still a cultural center, but it was a corrupt city. It was full of really, really vile stuff. Um, and so that's where Jesus decided to plant a church in the city of Corinth. And the church really was, uh, it thrived and it flourished. It had some problems. And so Paul was writing to them to try to correct some of those things and to help them to understand who they were. And who they were called to be. But in the city of Corinth, there was a a worship that involved prostitution. And uh, fortunately, we don't have any churches like that 
around anymore where the whole idea of worship is based on sexual immorality. They employed over a thousand prostitutes that worked in that temple. Uh, and that was the, so, so when you think, you know, I hear, I hear people saying, oh, our country is terrible, it's going down the pits, it's, you know, so, things are so bad, sin is so rampant. Sin's always been rampant. <laughs> and things have always been bad. And it's just different degrees or different places, different ways. But the city of Corinth had all kinds of corruption and they had a temple that was the main place of worship that engaged people in, in really in a large part of their lives was going to the temple and, and engaging in sexual immorality with the prostitutes at the temple. I don't, you know, it doesn't get a whole lot worse than that. In the Old Testament, they sacrificed children, which is, you know, if you're going to say degrees, it's worse. But this was a nasty city as far as righteousness or holiness or sinfulness was concerned. And so Paul is writing to the Corinthians and talking to them, and he's going to try to set things straight. And he says to them, I'm an apostle. An apostle is a sent one, but an apostle is a servant. First of all, an apostle is a servant. He's one who comes to serve those, not to one who comes... He comes with authority, but he comes with, with a, a servant's heart to teach and to train. Where does that come from? It actually comes from Jesus. What did Jesus say? I've come not to be ministered to. I'm not to be ministered to, but to minister. I want people to minister to me. I'm here to minister to people. And so he set the tone. He set the tone for what it means to be a leader in this group of folks, the followers that would follow him. He said, this is the way it's going to be. And so Paul comes as one who has been ordained by God as a leader, ordained of God to carry a certain authority, and yet that authority is tempered by his servant's heart. Um, Mark chapter 10, verse 43, we can look at this. The disciples were arguing over who was the greatest in the kingdom. And Jesus said to them, you are to lead by a different model. If you want to be the greatest one, then live as one called to serve others. The path to promotion and prominence comes by having the heart of a bond slave who serves everyone. For even the Son of Man did not come expecting to be served by everyone, but to serve everyone and to give his life as the ransom price in exchange for the salvation of many. And so Jesus sets the record straight right at the start. He says, listen... This is, this is the kind of leadership that I'm looking for in the people that follow me. It's those that are willing to serve. Serve others not to be served. And he set the example himself. Jesus set the example himself. So Paul makes this point later on in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, in verse 19. He says this, Now even though I am free from obligation to others, I joyfully make myself a servant to all in order to win as many converts as possible. I make myself a servant. Paul had a lot to brag about. You know, he's talked about his background, but he says, I've chosen. I make myself a servant. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, the last chapter in this, in this letter to the, the folks, he says, Dear brothers and sisters, I have a request to make of you. Give special recognition to Stephanus and his family. Stephanus, or I don't know how to say his name. Take a shot at it. What we was saying about Stephanus is that 
This is a guy who's a leader of a house church, one of the churches, one of the small congregations in the city of Corinth. He says, give him special honor. Uh, just recognize him. You know why? Why has he mentioned him? For they were the first converts in Nicaea, and they have fully devoted them. They have fully devoted themselves. They have fully devoted themselves. They have fully devoted themselves to serve God's holy people. Get the point. Sometimes we, we miss those kind of things. But they come to serve. So here's here's the point of all this. In, in verse one, we're talking about First Corinthians one chapter. First Corinthians chapter one, verse one and following, where Paul talks about being an apostle. He had authority, and yet he was a servant. Jesus came with authority, and yet he was a servant. Jesus had the perfect balance between authority and servanthood. So I want to tell you something. I want to give you some, some advice when you are, are looking for those who uh, you want to mentor or those who you look to for spiritual leadership. There should be a really good balance between the authority that somebody carries, not dictatorial, but there's a spiritual authority that they carry that's recognizable, and a servant's heart, servant's attitude. That's what Jesus demonstrated. Uh, The Pharisees had a problem with lording it over people and trying to tell people how, how to live their lives when they weren't willing to live their lives that way. And truly, an apostle is one who who um, gives instruction and yet gives the tools and gives the help the people to walk in what they're called to, to walk in. The second thing we want to look at is uh, in verse... Where do I have it? I put it in here. I need to go back to... In verse 2, um, can we go back to the first, the first slide where it has verse 2? I didn't put it in notes, I don't know. In writing you this letter addressed to the community of God through the city of Corinth, for you have been made pure, set apart, and anointed one Jesus. I want to talk about having been made pure and set apart. It's a particular Greek word, and we'll just take a few minutes on this and then give you something to think about. There's a Greek word, and I won't try to pronounce it, but it means that we were sanctified. We were set apart. We were made pure. We were made holy. Through faith in Jesus, we've been made pure and holy. But the tense of the verb, being set apart and made holy, has to do with the fact that it's in a passive voice, so it, it means that we didn't have anything to do with it. We've been made holy, but we didn't have anything to do with it. Okay, And that's important for us to understand because it's Jesus' holiness, it's his purity, it's his righteousness that we've been given when we trust him as our Savior. And so what is that holiness like? <laughs> it's like a clean white piece of paper that doesn't have any smudges on it. It doesn't have any marks on it. It's just a pure white piece of paper. Now, the best example, and I used this a few weeks ago, best example I can come up with is when we were kids learning to write, they gave us pencils, and we had to write the letters, and if you did it wrong, you tried to erase it. And if you erased it too many times, you'd rip the paper. And 
and then they would, the teacher would take somebody's paper and hang it up on the wall because it was so, such nice printing. And everybody could tell who had really good handwriting. And then the rest of us knew that we would never qualify to have our paper on because there were smudges and tears and crummy looking letters. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> I need to heal. And I, and I still feel that pain. No. The point, the point is, but here's the thing. I mean, maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you can. And maybe you had wonderful handwriting. And maybe you didn't even go through that trauma as a child. They don't do that anymore. I don't know. Um, but when we trust Jesus as our Savior, he gives us his holiness. It's like, I want you to think about this for a minute. Just, just let's do an exercise. Close your eyes. And I want you to imagine that you're holding in your hand a pure white paper. It's pure white. But it's not just white. There's something glistening about that paper. There's something so, it's almost alive. It has, it has a sheen to it, and it glows. And, it's, and it's, it's a record of your holiness. There's nothing on it. There's no smudge on it. And, you're, and it's your, you've been given this paper, and it's yours, but it came from Jesus. It's his righteousness. It's his holiness, but it belongs to you. It came from him. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. You just trusted him, and he gave it to you, and you have it. And it's got some kind of a special coating on it so that even if water drops on it, it just runs right off. It doesn't make a mark. There's no way to mark this paper. You can even fold it up and put it in your pocket and carry it around with you, and when, when you want to, you can pull it out and open it up, and there's no wrinkles on it. And you know, one of the few times that the enemy will actually tell you the truth, one of the few times that the enemy will actually tell you the truth is when you mess up a little bit and he comes to convict you or tell you about your sin. And all you have to do is pull out that sheet of paper. And all you have to do is hold it up and say, holy, holy. I mean, the Bible says if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we can go to the courts of heaven and we can say, look at this paper. This is the paper that I have from Jesus. And I have perfection, pure, pure. I need to remind myself of that. And sometimes I need to remind the enemy of that. And I need sometimes just a picture, some cow, some kind of a thing that I can hold on to helps me to remember that I have a holiness in my relationship with Jesus that comes from him that, that is absolutely pure. And I don't stand anywhere. I don't stand before God. I don't stand anywhere apart from his holiness. It's, it's with me. It's in me. It's doing a work in me. It's always there. And, I, and it can't be damaged. It can't be tarnished. It can't be diminished. Why not? Because Jesus is in me. My identity is in him. I am in him, so if he can't be tarnished, I can't be tarnished. 
If no block can be put on him, no block can be put on me. And so I need to pull that paper out and look at it every once in a while. I need to see that thing as pure and holy, holy, clean, bright, shiny. That's how God sees me. That's how God sees me. That's how he sees me. We've been set apart, made pure. That's what the Bible says. We've been made pure. And when I accept anything less, when I accept any thoughts less than that, I'm going down the wrong road. I don't understand my identity in Jesus, the fact that he is my life. He is my savior. He is my source. He is the breath inside of me. He is holiness in me. And that doesn't mean that I can just do whatever I want, but he is my holiness. And as I focus my attention on him, my actions actually begin to mirror more and more what he is like. You can open your eyes now. You don't have to continue unless you want to keep looking at the white paper. But keep that handy. I don't know if that'll help you or not. Some people that'll help. Some people think that was silly. Doesn't matter. If it works for you, use it. I think that God wants us to get a grasp on the reality of Jesus' life and vitality for us as human beings. He, he, he wants us to grow in our love for Jesus and our appreciation for him and just be overwhelmed with who he is. So that when the struggles of life come, boy, they don't rock your boat much. They just don't rock your boat much. They don't just, they don't throw you off course. They don't cause you distress. You just, oh, wait a minute. I have a really neat piece of white paper. (laughs) This is how God sees me. Pure and holy. So as I was preparing this, I thought of a, a song that we used to sing years ago. And uh, I always loved it. And there was something really amazing about the song. It was written by Kent Henry. And it was called Awesome in This Place. And it said this, As I come into your presence, past the gates of praise, into your sanctuary, till we're standing face to face. I look upon your countenance, I see the fullness of your grace, and I can only bow down and say, you are awesome in this place, mighty God. You are awesome in this place, Abba Father. You are worthy of all praise. To you, our lives we raise. You are awesome in this place, mighty God. And there was something of the presence of God that would seem to just be Increased and intensified as we sang that song. You are awesome in this place. And so I want to encourage you as we look at the Lord Jesus that you spend time encountering him. Spend time going into his presence and looking for his face. Say, Jesus, I just want to spend time with you. I want to come. We're seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. I want to come into the heavenly realm and spend time with you. 
I want to look at you face to face. I want to see, gaze on the glory of your beauty, the splendor of your holiness. I want to feel your breath breathing on me. I don't want to be touched by the nearness of your presence that changes me. that envelops me, that revives me, that makes me new. Jesus, Jesus, you are awesome in this place. Everything that you are, you want me to be. How marvelous. (laughs) How wonderful. How amazing is our God. He calls us closer. He calls us into deeper relationship with him. Understanding that who he is, he wants us to be just like him. Representing him here on earth. Jesus, we give you praise. We give you praise for the glory of your majesty. We give you praise for who you are. We give you praise for everything that you've done. We give you praise that you have called us, adopted us into your family. You have made us one with you. You have purified us. You've scrubbed us clean with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You've clothed us with robes of righteousness, holiness, and purity. And we need to spend time with you so we begin to view ourselves and see ourselves the way you see us. So draw us in. Lord, draw our hearts to you more and more. Cause us to love you more. Give us more love for Jesus. Be lifted up. Be magnified. You're so worthy. You're so worthy. You're so worthy. Open our eyes to see greater and greater depth, greater and greater vistas of who you are. Be magnified, O Lord. Give you praise. 